From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. Lisa Miller is a writer at New York Magazine. And a while ago, she got an email from her editor. My editor, who is a man in his 30s, sent me a link to a study that he'd read in a science journal that was about the connection between menopause and late-onset schizophrenia. And his email said something like, is this a thing? And I was like, I don't know if it's a thing. And then I went to his office and I said, but I am so, I'm middle-aged myself. And I went into his office and I said, I am so not writing a story that says that women go crazy when they turn 50. I'm not doing it. Yeah. So, end. Yeah. And he was like, okay, whatever. See if you can find something interesting there because it's interesting. And I said, okay, whatever. (laughs) And I went back to my desk and I was like, you know, it is kind of interesting. It is. So Lisa looked into it, and what she found was interesting. Interesting enough that she spent the next year reporting it out. Because there was a link between menopause and schizophrenia. But that was just the beginning. The more she learned, the more she realized that what she was writing was something way bigger than that. On today's show, we're going to tell the story of what Lisa found out. It has to do with the role menopause may play in late-onset schizophrenia. And also an under-the-radar history of research into the role women's hormones in general, and estrogen in particular, can play in all sorts of mental illnesses. But we'll start off with our editor's original question. Is there a link between menopause and late-onset schizophrenia? Or, as he put it, is this a thing? One of the stories Lisa tells in her piece is about a woman she calls Talia. She's a professor in her 40s with a husband and a teenage daughter. And a few years ago, Talia noticed some of the symptoms you see with perimenopause. Little things like your skin gets dry and mostly problems with heat, you know, uh, sleeping, getting too hot, opening the window in winter, which I still do. But those side effects became worse. Her trouble sleeping got worse. Soon she was having trouble thinking the way she used to. Well, I remember at the time having a hard time writing an email, like having a hard time processing through the steps to write an email, to organize the sentences of an email. I remember at the time I was trying to prepare a class and, you know, I would do something and have my husband check it. What I was doing was fine, Mm -hmm. but in my mind, like the ability to focus was so difficult. And then her sense of reality began to blur. At the time, Talia was working on research about a program in Nazi Germany called Action T4, It was a program in psychiatric hospitals where patients with disabilities and mental illnesses were killed in gas chambers that were the models for the ones used in death camps. I started to believe that this was happening again or could happen again. Talia started to believe that there were authorities who knew she was mentally ill and that they were coming for her, like the Nazis. So I became very afraid and very suspicious that the people around me, not so much my family, but doctors and and these kind of people could be part of a similar program. You know, I remember most of our windows have blinds that can be shut, but we have one window that doesn't have a blind. And I taped that window with paper 
so that no one could look in the window. And there was this one experience in particular of someone coming and knocking on the door. At the time, it, that knock was someone coming for me. And so I scrambled and tried hiding in one closet, which I couldn't fit in, and then hid in another closet. And I called my doctor, actually, at that point, and I remember him just saying, Talia, no one is going to kill you because you have a mental illness. How real did it feel to you? Or, like, sort of what was in your head at that moment? It feels incredibly real. The whole time, though, to me, it's sort of a question. Like, what if there is a program? What if this is happening? You know, my doctor at the time was saying, you're experiencing psychosis, and I understood what he was saying. But at the same time, I was thinking, you know, what if he's wrong? What if I'm right? Uh, What if this is really happening? What would you tell your husband or your kid about what was going on at that point? You know, I felt a need to kind of protect them somewhat from the full fear because in in part, I thought knowledge of that would put them in danger. Um, you know, I thought I had knowledge that put me in danger. This all happened a couple years ago, and Talia's doing a lot better now. She's back at work. Her doctors eventually put her on antipsychotics and mood stabilizers, and the drugs got her psychosis under control. But what Lisa found in her reporting is that there are other women who've had experiences like Talia did around menopause. Their symptoms can involve delusions and paranoia like hers did, but they can also be things like hallucinations, depression, and mania. I had no inkling that I was going into the menopause. Suddenly I became very high. This is another woman Lisa talked to named Val. She's married with two kids in Birmingham, England. And in her late 40s, she developed a sudden fixation on a very unexpected idea. Oh, I know, I'll be a vicar. So, <laughs> No problem. Yeah, I was full of it. I thought that was what God wanted me to do. Yeah, I thought life was great, and I was telling everybody. Val was obsessed. She enrolled in online theology classes. She'd email friends from church in the middle of the night. At no point in her life had she ever considered becoming a vicar, but now it was all she could think of. And then, as often happens after a manic episode, her high crashed, and Val fell into a debilitating depression. Nobody's ever told me I had a nervous breakdown. I don't think they use that terminology anymore. But maybe that's what a nervous breakdown feels like. I just just stopped functioning. Um, and uh, uh, it was a very, very long, long time of feeling absolutely horrible. Very hard on my family. I mean, I, my children were nine and 14 at this stage. Um And because we didn't know why I was ill, there was no explanation. We couldn't explain to them what was happening. Um, You know, it's very scary for children to see their mum so ill. There's not proof that what happened to Val and Talia was caused by menopause. But what Lisa was discovering in her reporting was a growing body of research that suggested some correlation between entering menopause and experiencing episodes of serious mental illness, including schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is usually diagnosed in the late teens or early 20s. In fact, in the past, doctors used to believe that you had to have your first symptoms before age 40 in order to even qualify as schizophrenic. But more recently, 
they found that there's a second peak of patients who first experience schizophrenia when they're older. And those patients are almost all women. After her story came out, Lisa got a flood of personal responses from readers, way beyond what she normally hears after she publishes something. She was getting emails, Twitter DMs. She was getting grabbed in the street. I was walking my dog and a friend was walking her dog and she was like, grabbed me, physically grabbed me by the shoulders. And she was like, oh my God, this is happening in my family right now. What did she mean? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, my brother is married to a woman who, like, they were married. They had two kids. Uh, Everything was good. And then she hit her mid-40s, and she went off the rails. And now she's living outdoors occasionally with sometimes a rug over her head because she wants to insulate herself from the voices that are coming from outer space. And pause here for a second. Just to think about what happens when a woman in her 40s or 50s goes through something like this. This is someone who's already had time to become part of a community. She has relationships. She has responsibilities. She's having a crisis, but it's not only a crisis for her. She's got a spouse or a partner who has to stay home from his or her job to look after her. Um, She has kids, probably adolescent kids, who are at, you know, vulnerable and traumatic time of their own lives. (laughs) Experiencing their own hormonal problems. (laughs) That's right, right. She's got aging parents, and then there's her clients or her boss or her coworkers or her students, her patients. Like, the, the ripple effects on a woman at that age are so gigantic. If she's been lucky in her life, you know, if she's succeeded in building a full life, that for her to be, like, removed from her life in that way so suddenly, and not just removed, but, like, suddenly a problem that other people have to solve, um, yeah, it's a profound disruption, not just for her, but for everybody in her universe. So why weren't we hearing these stories before? What exactly is going on here? And what does it all have to do with women's hormones? Answers to those questions after the break. Welcome back to The Cut on Tuesdays. This week, we're breaking down the relationship between estrogen and women's mental health. In the first half of the show, we heard from Talia, the woman who thought a Nazi program was coming for her. She's doing better now. She eventually found a treatment regimen that stopped her psychosis, though it does have side effects, and she's still worried that the symptoms could come back. Did anyone talk to you about the role hormones might play or about your hormones? You know, I would ask, and the answer I most often received was, we just don't know. Um, They would kind of say, it's possible, but we don't know. That's true, to a point. What Lisa Miller found, though, was that there was a growing body of research into this question. And a lot of it goes back to one woman, Mary Seaman. Mary's 83 now, And in the 1970s, she was working at a clinic for patients with schizophrenia. She treated men and women in separate group therapy sessions. All the patients she saw had certain symptoms in common. They suffered from hallucinations and delusions. They heard voices. But there were some major differences, too. Take the men, for example. They had trouble carrying on conversations. They seemed uninterested in developing or maintaining relationships. We talked to Mary about what she noticed back then. They seemed mostly interested in um, getting their prescriptions filled or or discussing their symptoms with me, not with each other. 
They didn't really address each other at all. They weren't chatty and they didn't have a range of affect. They tended to stay in the corner and not talk much. They seemed to um, lead impoverished lives. They didn't take good care of themselves. They didn't dress well. They weren't groomed well. And the striking thing was that at the end of the year, I asked them how many names did they know of their co-group members, and none of them knew each other's names. But the women were different. They also had hallucinations and delusions. But other than that, they didn't act like the male schizophrenia patients. They talked a lot. They got to know each other. They exchanged both their problems and their solutions to these problems. They um, found that they had much in common. They would meet before the group. They would meet after the group. They would make friends with each other. So it was different. I mean, it was clearly different. It looked as if it wasn't the same disease. Mary wanted to know how the same diagnosis could look so different for men and for women. And while she was doing her work on schizophrenia, her husband, Philip, a psychopharmacologist, was studying how antipsychotics work. These drugs were new at the time, and doctors still didn't understand all the science behind them. What Philip had found was that antipsychotics worked by blocking a dopamine receptor. Dopamine is one of the chemicals in your brain that determines how you experience pleasure and pain. If you block the dopamine receptors, you blunt the extremes that make up a disease like schizophrenia. Mary was looking at a group of patients, the women, who seemed like their disease was already blunted. Their symptoms were less extreme than what you'd expect. She wondered if there was something the women had, the men didn't, that could explain the difference between the two groups. What if estrogen could be working a little like an antipsychotic? She brought it up with her husband, who told her that, yeah, estrogen actually affects the dopamine receptors too. Here's Lisa Miller again. This idea that estrogen could have a modulating effect on severe mental illness was sort of a joint revelation. You know, once she posited this estrogen hypothesis, maybe it's the presence of estrogen that mutes or modulates the effects of mental illness in women with schizophrenia. She started to, like, notice it everywhere around her in all different kinds of cases. In 1981, Mary published a paper describing the correlation she saw. She called this link the estrogen hypothesis. If it modulates schizophrenia, maybe it modulates depression. Maybe it modulates other kinds of psychosis. Maybe it modulates anxiety. Like, we just don't know so much. In other words, maybe estrogen is playing a much bigger role in the way women experience mental illness than people ever thought. And when estrogen levels fluctuate most, those are the times when women prone to mental illness are most at risk. For example... Take another time when estrogen levels fluctuate. Childbirth. I had my son premature. He was two months early. So in my mind, I thought that was my fault because I'd taken antidepressants Mm. and I became ill literally the minute he was born. I was just in a state of shock and I think I said to my husband, "I, I nearly killed my baby. That's Val again, one of the women we heard from in the first half of the show. She was talking about the manic episode she had in her late 40s when she wanted to become a vicar. Val had actually had another severe bout of mental illness much earlier, just after the birth of her first son. She'd been taking antidepressants, which had worked for her, but after the birth, she couldn't stop thinking about what a bad mother she was. The guilt was consuming. Eventually, she stopped speaking entirely. And then they admitted me to another ward, which I presume was a psychiatric ward, because I'd become quite catatonic at that point and wasn't really speaking. It's almost like a switch 
trips in your brain and I was very suicidal. Just the overriding feeling was that I couldn't be a good mum and that my son, because I loved him, deserved to have a better mother. So I felt if I wasn't there, then he would have a, another mum. I didn't quite know who the other mum was going to be, but <laughs> I thought he deserved a better mum. Eventually, Belle's depression developed into psychosis. I got quite confused. Is there an example you remember? Um, well, we had our car stolen. And for some reason, I thought my husband had stolen the car. I've no idea why I thought that. Uh, it was vandalised and abandoned. and So that was the sort of thing that I was just really, really confused. If you think about Val's story with Mary Seaman's estrogen hypothesis in mind, what if these two episodes were connected? Both when she gave birth and when she was going through menopause, she would have been experiencing dramatic changes in her estrogen levels which could mean that the estrogen wasn't blunting the effects of dopamine the way it usually did, opening the door to mental health problems. In the years after Mary Seaman came up with the estrogen hypothesis, another doctor picked up where she'd left off. Here's Lisa Miller again. I mean, Mary Seaman is the original rock star, uh -huh. and Jayashri Kulkarni is the new rock star. The she's ascendant the, rock she's star. She's the ascendant rock star. She is unbelievable. She runs a clinic in Australia where... She treats women with mental health problems with estrogen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, if she feels like they need it. Ten years ago, Jayashri began publishing the results of studies she'd been running, where she was treating schizophrenic patients with combinations of antipsychotics and estrogen. She tested out different methods of delivering the hormone and different dosages. She worked with male patients as well as with women. And what she saw was startling. Here's Jayashri. I have absolutely been blown away by some of the results that I saw. So when when we're doing when we've done the clinical trials again and again, what we see is a group of patients who make spectacular recoveries. What happened in 25% of our patients is that the voices that that people had been hearing chronically, this awful symptom of hearing voices commentating on their actions that would not even stop when they were trying to go to sleep, etc., saying terrible things was the first symptom that would suddenly stop or suddenly get a lot better. And what were some of the other symptoms that you saw alleviated in the study? The hallucinations first. The second uh, symptom that seemed to be improved was the clarity of thought. You know, they'd say things like, I just feel like my thinking is scrambled. And that was the second thing that, that improved. Now Jayashri is interested in the role estrogen could play in treating women with other illnesses whether it could help women with depression or the 8% of women who have premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is like a debilitating, severe version of PMS. But even for women who aren't dealing with those conditions, Jayashri says that her research could make a difference. That's because we still don't have a good way of knowing who might experience psychosis after having a baby or going through menopause. We still don't know what causes it. You know, it's a, it's a Russian roulette situation because we don't know who is likely to develop psychosis. And the same thing, we don't know who's likely to develop postnatal psychosis, for example. You know, that, that's another rarer but horrible situation that can appear out of the blue in a woman who's had a normal um, childhood, normal adolescence, normal pregnancy, and then bang, post-delivery, she becomes floridly psychotic. Looking broadly at the medical community, what 
has the reaction been like from from other doctors or researchers to the study results you've shown? I, I have to say it's almost along gender lines. Um, really? <laughs> many of my female colleagues absolutely listen and will do things. Like they'll say, oh, well, look, I'll try this in some of my female patients. Lisa wanted to see what other experts thought of this work. So she started calling around and asking people about Jayashree's research. I mean, the eye-rolling I heard over the phone from the medical establishment was so profound. I can't even tell you. You know, mostly what people said was, schizophrenia is so complicated. We don't know what causes it. It's so devastating. Everybody's looking for a magic bullet. Estrogen is not a magic bullet. And I'm like, well, okay, so maybe it's not a magic bullet, but isn't it something? Isn't it a possibility? And they're like, therapy works better, antipsychotics work better, mood stabilizers work better. And I'm like, okay, but it's there's this correlation that you can see in charts and graphs in all of the studies. Like, why aren't we doing this? And this the kind of pushback was so uniform. So why does the medical community react to estrogen research with the skepticism Lisa saw? At least part of what's going on here is that for the last several years, estrogen has had a PR problem. This problem goes back a couple decades to a time when big claims were being made about what estrogen could do. At that time, though, the focus wasn't mental health. The focus was being sexy. In the 70s, estrogen was thought of as, like, the resexing of women. Mm-hmm. Like, if you wanted to resex yourself and you were going through menopause and you wanted to be young again and feminine again and not an ugly old bat, <laughs> you would take you would take hormones. Mm-hmm. And everybody, 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 everybody did it. It was super, super widespread common. Then, in 2002, the researchers behind the Women's Health Initiative study, a huge global research project, made headlines when they said they were stopping their work because of the links they were seeing between estrogen and conditions like breast cancer and blood clots. I was at Newsweek at the time. I edited a cover story about it. It was gigantic. The fact that, you know, the lead researchers were like, we're not doing this anymore. And and so a generation of women and doctors just were like, no. And women have to go through their menopause in a natural way and it will be fine. And actually, there's a very, like, a great feminist argument here, right, which mm-hmm. is that aging is aging, and you shouldn't have to resex yourself, and you can be fine. At, Embrace life as an old bat. Right? That's yeah. Fine. fine. Yeah. 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 Awesome. That's yeah. my intention. <laughs> um, but what that did was it, it threw the baby out with the bathwater. It turned out the story was more complicated than the headlines made it sound. Estrogen isn't always risky, and it isn't equally risky for all women. For example, some younger women in their 40s and 50s can probably take estrogen without all the risks that older women might see. Women who don't have a predisposition to cancer might be able to take estrogen safely as long as it's carefully monitored. But after the Women's Health Initiative, it was hard for estrogen to shake its bad reputation. Until recently, at least. Many, many of the people I talked to for my story said to me, like, the pendulum on hormones Mm. is swinging back a little bit. Mm. I just feel like, especially with something like schizophrenia, where people are still always looking for solutions and ways to treat it and ways to manage these terrible, terrible symptoms. Like, why not try a hormone? If it's a health risk, tell me what the risk is. 
let me decide whether it's a risk that I am willing to take. This isn't an experience unique to schizophrenics. There are lots of ways women can find themselves in situations where they aren't getting the information they need to make decisions about their own health. And that kind of powerlessness can be terrifying. This is an area that's understudied, underfunded. Women are undertreated. They're placed in the wrong categories. They, nobody knows who they are or that they exist. And I was like, oh, oh, I get it now, right? What changed in your mind? How did, your, how did you change your mind about what you were looking at here? I have had the experience since turning 50 of being invisible when I was never invisible before. Like, I was saying to a friend the other day, saying to Stella, that, like, a barista literally reached through me to give a (laughs) coffee to a man standing behind me. And I couldn't believe it. What is it that's making me so easy to ignore? And it really rankled me. And possibly I'm oversensitive about it, but, but... Whatever, it really did rankle me. And I thought to myself, like, that, that's just my everyday experience, plus mental illness. Like, imagine what that's like. Like, severe mental illness. And trying to advocate for yourself. Trying to, like, get better. Trying to be seen and be taken seriously. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. Lisa Miller reported the original version of the story called Listening to Estrogen, which was published in New York Magazine. You can read it online at The Cut. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVie and Olivia Natt. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Stella Bugby, Nazanin Rafsanjani, and Alex Bloomberg, who said during an edit, oh, right, that's how menopause works. Mixing is by Emma Munger. Our music is by Haley Shaw. Our theme song is Play It Right by Amelia Meath, Nick Sanborn, Molly Sarley, and Alexandra souser Special thanks to Jess Shane, James Milsom, and Claire Roth. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.